0: Hey, friends, this episode of Clinic Gym Radio is brought to you by ClinicGymConnect.com. Clinic Gym Connect is a wonderful, amazing communication software we've developed to help you grow your practice at a gym, at other services, and make sure that your patients and clients are clear on what you do and the amazing service you provide. You can learn more at ClinicGymConnect.com. But let me tell you this as we move forward, as you want to grow, growth must include communication, and communication must be done effectively. If you're emailing your clients, you're not doing it effectively. Heck, only one out of every 10 emails is even open, let alone read. If you want to get a hold of your clients, the best way to do that is the way that they communicate in every other instance, and that is text messaging. So check out our text messaging solutions. You can do two-way text with your office. You can use text messaging to capture new leads at events or in videos. And you can use text messaging to follow up, send appointment reminders, and even ask people for reviews. It works so much better. It's so much more effective and people love it. So check out clinicgymconnect.com. Hey, welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I have spent the last 12 years trying to find the perfect model of musculoskeletal healthcare. And I think I found it. I think it's combining chiropractic care with excellent rehab skills and then transitioning those patients into an exercise program at a gym where there's great communication between you and the people running the gym. We call that the clinic-gym hybrid model, and over the last two years, we've really been trying to perfect it with the goal of having 100 clinic-gym hybrid facilities opening up here in the U.S. I'm Dr. Josh Satterley, and welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Clinic Gym Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Josh Satterley, and I am joined by a trio of amazing uh, clinic-gym hybrid doctors, Nate Baker, Nick Baker, and Keith Yoho. How are you guys? We're doing great. Thanks for having us on, Josh. Absolutely. I think what's exciting for me is you guys are all uh, running a blended clinic gym hybrid facility. You're all chiropractors, all three of you. Uh, You all believe, obviously, in exercise, but I would call this like a success series. You guys are showing that it can be done very well, not just individually, but also in a group setting when there might be differing opinions of what's the best exercise or what's the best system and whatnot. And uh, man, I'm really excited to talk about this. So can one of you just tell me, for those listening, where you're at, how big the facility is, and how much of that facility is clinic, and how much is gym?
1: Yeah, uh, we are located in Grants Pass, Oregon. Um, our facility is 6,500 square feet. We have about 11 treatment rooms, uh, and then 3,000 of that um, is 3,000 square feet of that is the gym. uh, And that is
0: all under one roof attached. So I'm going to guess that basically 3,000 is gym, about 3,000 is active treatment area, and 500 is bathroom, the waiting room, and all that. Yeah, that's about about it. it. So you're about half and half clinic and gym. Pretty much. All right, and the three of you are chiropractors, treating people every day. Are there other licensed providers or the only other providers in the facility, like the the trainers and, and CAs?
1: So we have four doctors. Scott Thorson is one of the owners with myself and my brother, Nick. Keith's our associate. Hope to be an owner soon with us. And um, we also have four massage therapists, uh, two trainers
0: about to bring on our third trainer, and then uh, three CAs. Holy smokes, man. You guys, uh, when you have your staff Christmas party, you got to rent out an entire bowling alley or something. My God. <laughs> you know, or just a casino or something. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> all right. So, so how did this all start? I mean, you got 3000 square feet in gym space now, but it wasn't always like that. What did you start out with? Uh, this space was, uh, 3,500 square feet, just as the clinic I had about a, a
1: 900 square foot, basically garage that we kind of converted into a, into a gym. Um, to make a long story short, Scott Thorson was the, the godfather of this place. It was called Thorson Chiropractic back in the day. He ran it for 20 years as basically a solo provider. Um, Nick uh, joined him seven years ago, and then I came on about five and a half years ago. Since then, we've added like four or five treatment rooms, uh, the gym, and then you know the big gym. And so it was... A whole lot smaller. And then over the years, we added and added and added, and, and kind of here we are now.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Although, I, if I was him, I would just be incessantly reminding you that I used to fill this whole place up by myself, and now there's four of you guys. Jeez, He's in Mexico right now. Don't feel bad for him. Yeah. Oh, well, that's good. Uh, yeah, he's won. He, he won. he won the prize. So congrats that's to him. Great. And so, he does remind us about it anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Nice. So, uh, yeah, there's so much that we can get into, but one thing that I'm really interested in is so you got uh you got a guy who's in Scott that's established, he's kind of treating a certain way and 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 kind of towards the tail end of his career. Yeah. Nick, you come on and I'm guessing you're young and hungry, you want things to be done a certain way, Nate, you come on and now uh when did it become apparent that you guys were going to basically have to grab a system and run that system because I'm sure there were a bunch of different ideas and all of them probably produced good results, but having all those people and all the new patients you have and everything, not having a system would make that place feel like chaos, right?
1: hundred percent. That's exactly what happened actually. So a big part of it was trial and error. Uh, largely, we ran a number of different, when I was here initially with Scott, um, him and I both worked together because we both had the same philosophy, which was huge. Uh, We were both evidence-based chiros, wanting to incorporate a lot of rehab, Um, even him being, and that was rare to find with him being a practitioner that had been in practice for 20 years that was still wanting to evolve. So that's kind of why I stuck around and and, uh, put some roots down here. But more or less what happened is we got together, started treating, um, started seeing opportunities where patients would come in. They'd be hurt, sports injuries, non-sports injuries. We'd work on them, get them better. They'd get back into their gym or into their own field of exercise. And we'd see them two or three months later with a new problem or the same problem. And so we I call that the, of the
0: ping pong game. Problem. I hated that when they would go to you for four weeks, go back, whatever, four weeks, come back for four weeks, go back, yeah, you but, know. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, ultimately it made us ask ourselves, like, how good are we doing at, at, at getting people to a place of being self-resilient? And, uh, you know, when you're honest with yourself about that stuff, the next part for us is asking questions like, how can we fix not being great at that? And I think the only option at that point was we've got to find a way to start to take people away from releasing them from care, so to speak, and actually guiding their, their, their progress outside of the clinical side of things um, back to being more resilient and becoming more robust and doing all the things that. That we wanted to do as as evidence-based kind of rehab-based chiropractors so um, what we ended up doing was we ended up starting to work with a number of different groups youth so local high schools um and just kind of training them using what we thought were good training methods on the fly and that's where problems started because everybody thinks something different and it was not scalable. It had to be us. We had to be there all the time because I was the only one that could deliver my product. Scott was the only one that could deliver his product. And ultimately, those things failed. We, 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 uh, we did our, our best with it, but it became too time consuming and it took away from what really brought in revenue, which is treating people with our hands. And so we had to either give up on that or look for different alternative methods of achieving that outcome. And that's what led us into looking for a clinic gym type solution.
0: Now, how long did you suffer through all these failures before you had the emotional, I don't know what you want to call it, resiliency to say, we're changing, like committing to the, the fact that we need to do something different. Because I mean, as smart people, you can probably adapt quickly. You could run different programs. You can kind of fill the holes in your bucket, unfortunately, because of your knowledge and education experience. But getting to a point where you're just like, I'm running too fast to produce too bad of a product here. Uh, how long did you kind of go through that before you like it's changing? I'm, I'm a hundred percent all chips on there in the center of the table. We're changing this.
1: Yeah, it didn't take long. It probably... Uh, how long was it till you got down here,
0: Nate? About
1: a year and a half. So it took us about a year and a half. Then I say that because ultimately what happened was I got to work with Scott. We were treating patients. We were trying some of these other things to add in classes or fitness type approaches. Honestly, just we loved it. We loved the strength and conditioning aspect. We wanted to to kind of grow our craft in that way. But we we what really triggered it was we got to the point where we realized like you know, that's taken away from revenue. Like we, this isn't sustainable is really what it came down to. We're having to invest our time, which it really isn't spent well out in the gym, training people when we could be treating people. And, uh, and we weren't happy with the outcomes that, that we, uh, we had we thought we could probably do it better but it needed to be scalable and then that's honestly i mean i was already an sfma provider so i had already kind of understood having a systematic approach to managing one person and then you start looking into into different systems you know fms uh, frc cfsc these types of systems and they all have pretty much one thing in common they they can all be scaled to multiple providers doing it and, and achieving kind of the same outcomes or at least something relatively close so we decided to to bite off of that, and then uh and then when we did that, we realized we need more people, and so that's when we I got in touch with Nate, who was up in in Vancouver, Washington at the time, and said, "Hey, uh, do you want to work with us?" And he said, "Yes." and then we worked together for a while until uh we got in touch with Keith, who was a local provider, just started his own his own gig and said, "Dude, you fit the mold? like you are really exactly what we're looking for. We're getting busy. we need help. Do you want to join?" And he said, "Yes." And it's just a snowball from
0: there. Yeah. I think when you have an attractive product like that, that kind of sings to everybody. There's, you know, like you look at the Facebook group that we all met through. I think there's this group of people who want that. And when you just start kind of talking about this, everybody goes, yes, that is the model. You know, because going back to like what you said about resiliency, we all know, how would I say this? We all know intellectually that research says it takes, you know, at least six weeks to measure hypertrophy. And I'm just measuring hypertrophy as a, a a clear marker of muscle growth, right? And yet a lot of us will, we get such great results using the S of, of these different systems that will discharge somebody after like two weeks. And those two things are essentially opposing. Like we know that you can't get muscular change for six weeks. So you got to keep your arms around that person for six weeks. But then we also, I think everybody in the Facebook group and every that does a clinician model is like. For me to think I need to continue hands-on care three times a week for six weeks is like against everything I believe in, especially if they're showing great improvement. So having that blend and that continuation of care allows us to get over that six-week mark to hopefully eight or 10 weeks or shoot three years if the person's training your facility. And that matches up with the evidence as well. And it's it's so, so funny, like we can try and violate that. It sounds like you guys did, Nick. And then you're like, all right, fine. You know, yeah. and science actually was right. And <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's honestly, it's just not, it's not at all a hard sell. I will tell you this from experience. I can think of four patients right off the top of my head that during that course from about 2014 to 2018, 19, I would see maybe once a year with some catastrophic flare up of, of low back pain and about the fourth time every year, good, they're good otherwise, but about the fourth time every year. Uh, or the the fourth time it happens yearly, the patient comes in and says, all right, you're great. You helped me get back on my feet. doesn't take too long, but how the heck do I stop this from happening every year? It's super easy to say, well, honestly, you need to get out there. And you can point to the gym and say, you need to start to train to build this resiliency and robustness that we're looking for to have a a pain-free spine and and a well-moving body. And that's the easiest conversion. I mean, I can tell you again, four people just off the top of my own head that are out there in the gym on a regular basis, because they asked me how they make sure that doesn't happen again.
0: If you read my book, the very first chapter is about a woman named Melissa who basically said the same thing. I feel great. I don't ever want to feel this way again. What do I need to do? I Mm -hmm. was like, Uh, well, we're just going to start a little revolution and then you'll be at the center of it. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's awesome. So, so you guys start systematizing things and, uh, I notice you have a beard now, Nick, that's probably to cover up the scars from kind (laughs) of taking a couple on the chin. Yeah, that's right? right. Yeah. You start systematizing things. Um, where did you find, where have you guys found it was the best place to focus on implementing systems? So you mentioned SFMA, that's really a one-on-one clinician to patient systemization. Um, you guys have also mentioned you have some gym systems, the CFSC. You mentioned FRC, um, anything that basically has an acronym you guys have mentioned. Yeah. Uh, but was it all... So those are all around direct patient or client care. But you also have this business, right? And you're hiring people to answer the phones. You're hiring people to help you out. You're hiring CAs. Where did you find the first systems needed to be kind of implemented?
1: I think that... Early on it was training CAS and help to get you to do more to see more people to deliver better care you can only do de- you're only one person you can only deliver as much care as you can in a certain amount of time as soon as you can replicate the things you know to other people then they can you know duplicate that with many people and so that's that was the the beginning of it. Is let's all get CAs, let's teach them rehab, let's send them to FRC, which we did, and let's send them to this and this and this, and let's build their knowledge. And then the clinic was kind of flowing in a very systematized way to where, when it was time for us to go into the gym and get our gym systems going, what we did as a, as a as a clinic was take two of our CAs right off the bat that had been with us for one was for a year and one was for six months and they were both hungry to learn and they were picking things up quick and we took those two individuals and during COVID when everything was shut down while our building was being built we trained them with CFSC principles and we got them up for the gym side of things so we converted two of our, our CAs into trainers and then we used the CFSC as a system in the gym and Keith was a a big part of that since he had taken cfsc and we had had phone calls with brandon on some stuff and they you know delivered that system to our cas who are still our trainers today um, and have been with us for over one one of them for almost a year and a half and one for two years now and And so now, you know, you see we hire more CAs, we deliver the same care. It's also good (laughs) to train your your CAs up in case something happens in the gym. Now you can try to convert some of those CAs into trainers. And a lot of them are willing to do that because they make more money. They like to be out in the gym doing rehab anyways. And so it's kind of an easy conversion. It plays well together.
0: Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly with everything you're saying. I would love to bounce some questions off of you just to confirm what I believe in this system. And I, I want to ask some questions that I get a lot from people because since you guys are running it day-to-day with multiple providers, let me ask you this first. Regarding CAs, uh, what percentage of the work you do, like you just said, it's good to have them because if you're over, you know, if you get sick one day or you're late back from lunch or you got to leave early or whatever, what percentage of all the work you do do you think that that CA can step in and do? At this point, everything except for adjust and diagnose.
1: I mean, okay. they, can, they can deliver a little manual therapy. They can, they can do, they do the majority of all of our rehab minus maybe some MDT progressions up front. But then they, we teach them how to do some of that so they can filter that stuff in and then go into the, you know, the rehab, more detailed rehab. So So as soon as you (laughs) identify
0: the directional preference, they can guide the patient through it. It's just maybe on the front end determining which one's are best. Correct. So at least 80% of what you do, you think that person can do? Correct. Okay. Uh, People challenge me a lot on that idea. And I say, and they, the the common response is, if they can do 80% of what you do, you're not doing enough. And my thought is, if you're not asking them to do 80%, you're not delegating enough. Yeah, and they're very motivated now. Did these people have any training before they came to you? Were they a trainer? Were they a local high school PE coach? What? Anything? Nope. Okay. Uh, I, one of them.
1: One of them dipped his toes into training a little bit, um, but he was like an all-state wrestler. Was just had a passion for it and wanted to kind of get into that, but he really didn't have any formal, you know, training in that, in that realm, other than that, no, and we found that it's actually better just to find the right personalities and train them up because it's better than having someone that's trained for 10 years, trying to teach them stuff.
0: Please repeat that last part, because I just launched a whole course called hiring the perfect trainer. And a big part of it is finding somebody that has customer service skills is way more important than any sort of uh, resume about training. In fact, I would would agree with you that less is better.
1: Yep, and that's that's what we found. I mean, we we've put out ads to hire new trainers, and we've interviewed probably I don't know twenty people. Some of them very very appealing resumes. We ended up hiring someone that was an all-state guy, football, track, really really passionate and he had the right attitude and he fit the mold and we could train him up to be what we needed and want him to be versus someone that had preconceived notions about what training was and trying to undo some of that. So, yeah, honestly, honestly, uh, it kind of becomes somewhat, this might sound weird, but it kind of becomes somewhat of a burden uh, from both the clinical and the, the trainer side of things. If you hire somebody that already has a preconceived notion of what their job should be, because what ultimately happens is you end up having a tug of war between what they kind of thought or believe is the way that things should be done and what you want to have done. Um, we honestly, the last couple of times we did interviews, we kind of made a commitment that we want to hire someone that's relatively green. We want them to have minimal training experience because we feel like we can give that to them and it'll make our lives easier as long as they're the right
0: person. Yeah. And, um, Answer this as much as you can, but if you don't want to answer it exactly, that's fine. The other question I get, or a common statement I get is, I'm trying to hire a trainer to you know, be a CA and also run classes. I can't afford anybody locally because they all want to be paid you know, X amount, $30, $40, $50 an hour. That's usually accompanied by the fact they also have a resume of training classes. They've already put themselves through a lot. What have you guys found is a reasonable rate for these CAs to work for you. And in comparison, so I would say they can do 80% of what we can do for 50% of the cost. What have you found as far as the cost for the hourly rate? So our CAs, while we train them before they actually get their, their license from the board, we give
1: them 13 bucks an hour. As soon as they get that license, we bump them to 15. Okay. And so they start at 15. Once, once they get into the gym, then it's a, you know, if, if they go into the gym as a, as a trainer, that's a different pay scale. And it's actually very similar to what you put out there with your 240,
0: 60, um, pay scale. So it's, it's really, really, really similar to that. Um, and just for reference, what is your local minimum wage? Do you know? That's
1: like 1125. I think it's going up to $12 an hour in July, something
0: like that at $13 an hour. You guys were two bucks more than roughly two bucks more than minimum wage. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So for those listening, you can hire somebody very affordably. Uh, You don't, they don't need to really have anything other than customer service skills, but it does sound like you better get active about training the hell out of them. Like Mm -hmm. you better educate, educate, educate.
2: I I also feel like on some of our, like the very green people getting into a completely new industry and a new field actually tend to have more passion for, and, and are actually more willing to learn. So some of the times it's actually been easier to take someone that's completely green. Yeah. You're paying them less money. You have to train them a little bit more because they may not know some of the anatomy, but they're actually more engaged and willing to learn. And and sometimes even learn faster and don't have, and you don't have to break down the barriers of their preconceived notions. So beyond the pay aspect of it, the big thing for us was we don't have to want to take steps backwards before trying to build them up and move forward. So it's all of that that working together, for sure. I would totally agree with the passion
0: thing. Like, I don't think anybody goes into fitness to make a bunch of money. They're not looking at it as like, oh, I'm going to drive a a Bentley. But And providing the education, I mean, is a huge deal to them. It's a huge bonus, right? It's very intriguing. It's fulfilling. And they want to learn. I know you did mention something I want to touch on, too. Um, I think, Nick, before we start hit record, you say that you're now... So every trainer you had up to this point started as a CA became a trainer and might work as both of those during the week. Now you're at a point where you're hiring somebody just to live in the gym. And you were saying that you're noticing there might be some holes in the education because they haven't seen pain, right? They haven't seen the pain that you see in clinical patients.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. To elaborate on it. um, One of the biggest benefits that we've had from taking our CAs from the clinic and bringing them into the gym is that they have seen probably the most, elementary forms of rehab and movement um, people that are inflamed irritated flared up can barely move we still move them um, just within whatever their their limits are at that time and and to have CAs that have seen that and they learn about directional preference and they learn about things that may or may not be beneficial for for joints and tissues to have them have that, base, uh, that, that uh, baseline knowledge and be able to take it out of the gym has been extremely helpful because when you're running a gym that's full of ex patients the last thing you want to do is have them get hurt again right in all honesty it's kind of what we largely what we make our namesake on is we want i mean number one goal of all clients whether they know it's a goal or not when they get into the gym is they can't get hurt because when you're hurt you can't train and so people will come in I i had a conversation yesterday with a patient she said first thing she said to me, she's, she's training now, but first thing she said is, I need to gain a lot of muscle very quickly. And my first thought was, no, you don't. Uh, <laughs> you need to not get hurt is what you need to not do. And, uh, and we can build you from there. So uh, having CAs go into the gym, they understand those basic concepts of, hey, they can't get hurt. We need to mitigate injury, uh, improve joint health, improve basic function and movement qualities. And then we can build capacities. We can build tissue. We can build cardiorespiratory function. We can build from there, but you can't do any of that unless you get hurt.
0: And all the, all the psychological benefit that come with that about building those people up is huge. I mean, that's that, that often we forget that that's coming along with their, you know, when they double the kettlebell that they're picking up off the ground, They're doubling their psychological belief in themselves. You know, it it doesn't just stay there in the gym. Um, Along with that, I, I often say that one of the great things of having clinic gym hybrid is when you hand off somebody, when you hand off a patient to a trainer, for me, it really feels good to go, hey, Nick, this is, you know, this is Keith. He's our number one trainer. And he is the best trainer in the area for people with shoulder pain, right? And people always laugh and say like, oh, you know, oh, you're exaggerating a little bit. But my feeling always is, no, I don't think any other trainer has seen this many people with shoulder pain and known how to regress them as, as the people who work for me did, you know? Yeah. I would love to get your opinion of that. What do you guys notice?
2: That's, that's definitely spot on. And that's, uh, where I think a lot of people have disconnects with training because when you see training, you, a lot of people want to get people progressed to the cool, sexy Instagram, YouTube stuff. But the number one things that they need to learn is the regressions. And that's where, like, when we went to go implement CFSC, it was great because it reinforced, you know, like their, their, three main goals is the first goal is don't hurt people in training. The second goal is for them not to get hurt, whether it's in their sports or throughout their ADLs. And then the third thing is to improve performance. Like everyone, all, all clients and everything come in wanting number three, but you have to to, to achieve number three, you have to prevent uh, injuries in the gym or outside of the gym. And and that's where the progressions and regressions really are so important. And at times, even regressions below what uh, what are on the CFSC list.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be yeah. fair, the CFSC it's a it's a it's targeted to a gym training program, not to a clinical rehab system. We we all have just kind of uh, bastardized the belief and all that. The, I think the CFSC at its core is really have a systematic approach to make things harder or easier. And a lot of rehab is like that as well, right? Even MDT has, here's how to, what to do day one when they're super acute. And here's what to do when they're subacute. But I would love to know, going back to the thought about the CA and trainer, I know when I've hired in the past, when I've hired trainers, teaching them regressions is typically more difficult. Most trainers don't have really good regressions, but you guys have hired some people that are totally green is it still more difficult to teach them regressions? Is it more difficult to teach them progressions? What have you found there if if you're starting with a blank canvas?
1: Uh, Largely, I would say, I I don't think the concepts of regressions and progressions are that hard to get across to those people. I think actually executing that is harder, is still hard. Mostly because That, I think, is an on-the-floor experience factor. Like, you have to be there. You've got to see it. You've got to... I remember even for me going through, like, the basics of rehab when I was kind of just gaining my clinical uh, ability, it was you would watch an instructor or you would watch someone else do it. And then you are put in the spotlight and it was like, you're frozen. Like, uh, I saw this done. This was supposed to be super easy, right? Like SFMA rolling progressions. Like I saw, Josh, you're, you're the one that uh, taught our initial SFMA and, Portland. and uh, I remember somebody did one of the rolling progressions where then they got up and did a multi-segmental flexion movement and the guy just palms the floor from being unable to barely bend forward, maybe 45, 50 degrees. So I'm thinking that it's all supposed to work like that, right?
0: And then I get in the clinic and I'm like, do this. (laughs) And and a large part of instructing those classes is knowing who to select for your demo.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Because
0: the first time I can tell you at Logan College or Logan Chiropractic College, I I was selected to demonstrate as an instructor and I got burned. (laughs) This dude had neck pain and he never improved with rolling. So that was the... That I determined that would be the last time I ever looked like a moron up here in front of the group.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. But either way, you know, getting into those, getting onto the onto into those situations and getting onto the floor and being able to work through regressions and progressions and combining different trains of thought with breathing and with different forms of tension. I mean, all that stuff is an art. So while uh, communicating the the basic kind of concepts of regression progression is not difficult. If people haven't had floor experience, I think there's always going to be some type of, of lag when it comes to getting them up to speed.
2: Yeah. And that's where it really comes down to the, the experience helps you figure out, do I need to coach this differently? Do I, is it, is it actually a problem with the exercise or is it a problem with the way we're doing the exercise that we need to coach it better or, is it, okay, oh, hey, maybe this isn't a, a rolling pattern problem and we need to actually lateralize into a complete different genre of movement and exercise. And that's just something that takes a ton of time and experience both on the clinical level and, and for coaches.
0: So what I'm hearing here for people that are listening and want to implement a system similar to yours, what I'm hearing is teaching in a systematic approach the, how to regress things and progress things is not difficult for anybody to grab onto. But at no point will anything ever replace hands-on, in-your-face knowledge and experience. Because a big part of a clinic gym is you got to have trainers that at some point are willing to take the, what would you call it? The risk, willing to have the confidence to exercise somebody that tells you ow with every rep for three reps. And you know, I just got to get that fourth and it's going to go away. But that takes hell that takes guts today for me. Like, I don't know (laughs) if you guys have that. You're like, when that person's saying, ow, with every movement, I'm like, I know that movement is going to help you. And I know we're in the right movement. Like I've tested the hell out of you with the SFMA. I know exactly what joints can move. And you're saying, ow, but that's what would you call that? That is a uh, a brain reaction. That is not a joint reaction. I don't know many trainers that'll do that or they're just, they don't really care. They just exercise everybody regardless of complaint, uh, pain complaints, you know?
2: That's where the experience and exposure to the clinic is really helpful for a lot of those trainers as well. And and I think that, you know, like it's not easy, right? So I think that when
1: you hire someone just in terms of we're hiring you to be a trainer in our gym, that's hard. That's not an easy thing. There's going to be a lot of failures before it becomes something where they're a well-oiled machine. It's going to be months of of getting into that, and you know we'd be lying if we said that it was all rainbows and butterflies all the time because some of these people just it's gonna they're gonna fail before they succeed, and and but that's also part of what I think is going to make them you know into a good trainer and into someone that can deal with people because they're going to see a whole lot more and they're going to gain some of that experience by. Get by getting in there.
0: Yeah. yeah. Before, before you jump in there, Nick, I'm just going to say, if you think about it, to anybody doesn't believe what Nate just said, is like, think about your experience at chiropractic college. When you enter the student clinic, you have about the same amount of education, book smarts as you do about a year later into practice. But the treatment that your patient's receiving, vastly different because it's just hands-on street level knowledge that really ups your game then. So 100%. 100% yeah sorry yeah, so to cut like, you off there nick no, no it's, it's all right but you know the just this whole
1: conversation kind of got me thinking about about kind of i guess this this phrase like you know when we're talking about systems and them making your job easier i think a really important thing to understand is that systems they might make things easier, but they don't take away the job. And ultimately like you still need to invest time in training your trainers. Like the systems aren't gonna do it for you. What we don't do is we don't go to CFSC, FRC, FMS, SFMA, and then just give people the book and say, do this. It still takes weekly meetings where we are weekly and monthly meetings where we sit down with our staff and say, all right, like, where are you guys failing with this stuff? What do you guys feel like is really hard? Or, hey, I need you to do an FRA on my shoulder right now because I want to see how it's done. That has taken a lot of, and I, you know, I'll say it because it is what it is. It's taken a lot of our time. And the more you spend doing it, the, the more automated and the more systematic and the more smooth it becomes. But every time you bring someone new on that process kind of starts again and you're back to, all right, got to get you up to speed. It's going to take at this point in time, it's going to take um, my personal time, my personal effort, my personal energy, these guys' personal time, effort and energy to get you up to speed. and. Josh, that's one thing before we started talking that I was mentioning to you now is this is the interesting thing is the whole system of running a clinic gym changes the bigger you get, because now we're getting to a place where we're really are, you know, getting enough, enough members and we're hiring trainers where managing the gym is really its own full time job and having, you know, four doctors try to do it is pretty difficult but having one person do it right now, we don't have that person. So we're trying to figure out like, where do we, where and when is it financially feasible and, and, and an important, smart thing to do to hire somebody to manage all of this for us? Um, and we meet with them or direct them. I mean, th- those conversations have been thrown around and we're right now on the cusp of trying to figure that stuff out. But, uh, but
0: that's uncharted, uncharted waters for us at this point. Hey man, growth problems are good problems, but they are problems. Like, no it's not comfortable. Yeah. I just like working out, you know, you, when you make gains, you, you get a little sore along the way. So I got some tricks uh, for you. If, when we finish this, remind me, and I'll, I'll share a couple, but I do want to cover this since you brought up the business and the whole kind of beehive that you guys have running there. Um, you have a 3000 square foot gym attached to about a 3000 square foot clinic. And you were saying that you're starting to get enough members that it's, it's getting exciting probably financially and also just the amount of business people sessions that are going on in that thing. How have you filled up your gym? So we right now are averaging about two new clients per
1: week. And this is a little, (laughs) this is going to be a little cringeworthy and this is definitely something that we need to improve on. But I think it's important to say this to everybody because they'll grow from it. But We don't market. We have not done any external marketing. So right now, 95 plus percent of the people that are in our gym right now are direct patients that get converted into gym clients. And so since mid-July, we've gotten over 50 members uh, in the middle of a pandemic just from patients going into the gym And that is starting to get exponentially
0: more, which is why we're starting to get into a little crunch with onboarding and different things and having to hire new people. So to clarify for those people listening, when you're saying members in the gym, these are people who are paying cash for a membership every month. And that did come from the clinic, which might've been insurance or blend of insurance and cash. I don't know what your guys' setup is, but, um, so you've transitioned them to now a recurring monthly cash payment. Correct. And correct, that is correct. right
1: Yes, we want, we do, we have a mix of cash insurance, you know, MBA workers comp, all that stuff in the clinic and the gym, you know, you... <laughs> is all cash and it's all you got to pay up you know you got to pay your monthly membership fee and everyone does it and we get them into small group training cuz that is much more profitable right now we we're capping our our classes at 6 some of that's because of covid stuff and uh, our trainers are at the point where we could probably start doing eight. Um, but we are doing monthly memberships and, and you had said something. We I, I got an email about, or maybe it was a Facebook post post about you saying, you know, McDonald's had a huge spike in how much fries they, they sold, right? When they started asking if people wanted to have fries with that. That is absolutely true. And you know, when we're treating patients, sometimes it's just one sentence that, that the patient will say, like, well, what can what can we do about my knee strength or what? My, my shoulders feel weak. And I go, you know what? I have someone you can talk to. She was our CA, did a lot of rehab. And now she's out in the gym. Let me let me just give you just 10 minutes with her. And I would say almost 100% of the time, I go, how'd it go? And my trainer goes, well, she signed up for an assessment and uh, the first month of training, and she's paying for it right now. And that's just... I'm not selling anything necessarily. I'm literally, I'm passionate about it. I know it's going to help. And then I hear the success stories down the road. Hey, that knee pain that I had, it's gone. I don't have it anymore. And the cool thing is they, they see it. They know it.
0: I didn't have to do it because they did it themselves. And that's what I think is some of the most
1: exciting stuff.
0: Yeah. Well, if you're, if you're just going to sit here and tell stories of how I was right, Nathan, I would block out the next four hours of your schedule because we'll do the long <laughs> podcast you've ever seen. <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, and, and I'll get to you in a second, Keith. I think you uh, you wanted to say something. How many hits do people get about your gym as a patient? So does your front desk staff mention it? Does every doctor mention it? Do you introduce the trainer at some point? Like how often are you guys actually actively presenting it?
1: So I would say that most all the time it comes from the doctors and then a little bit from the CAs, but also the gym sells itself. So (laughs) we go out there, everything's brand new. It's high quality kind of state of the art and they're out there doing rehab and they're seeing small group classes and they're seeing Mm our trainers and they sometimes just ask about it. But a lot of times, the, you know, the docs will say, hey, I think that this is something you should do. The front desk isn't doing a whole lot of that for us right now. Probably something they should do, but they're so overwhelmed with <laughs> everything else that they do. that You know, they, they do up front when they have, you know, 100 people walking through the door a day. The last thing that they are right. thinking about is converting people into gym members. So... It is something where most of it comes from the doctors, a little bit from the CAs that are doing rehab, but a lot of it is the the patients are also in the gym doing rehab, seeing some of that stuff. Yeah.
0: And I would would always recommend for everybody listening, like I think that this podcast is full of actionable information. So I really appreciate you guys uh, just spilling the beans here. But I think one of the best marketing efforts you can do, I always tell people, if you're going to start your small group classes, run them at the busiest times of your clinic. So if you get a bunch of people asking for appointments between four and six, you know, yes, they will move to three and two thirty if you want, but between four and six, then that, that tells you when you should be running your first classes, because I think they are a perfect billboard. Like you're saying, if you're out there rehabbing and if I'm working with you through rehab and right to the right is somebody else who the best thing you can happen is I go, Nick, you know, let's, let's do this exercise. Hey, by the way, Janet over there actually had the same injury you had about two months ago. And then you look over and see her pressing a kettlebell that you can't currently do. It's, a, it's always great when it's like a super strong dude and an old woman. That is a perfect <laughs> combo. You know, it's like the compliance of rehab shoots through the roof, right? And their their ability to look past their current pain and go, oh, it's possible is so much greater when it's somebody else demonstrating that than it is for the doctor to say, like, I know this sucks, but you're going to get through this. Like, that's the worst thing to hear. And it's just such a great billboard to see those people. Plus, if you, one of the greatest things that happened in clinic gym hybrid is the gym part is full of smiles and high fives and people pushing. And there are a lot of days when the clinic is a slug fest, you know. I mean, I don't know what it is, but you'll get five people in a row that are just struggling or they had an acute onset of pain. And it 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 eats at me. I don't know if it eats at you guys, but oh, yeah. being able to walk out and look and see the people like, oh man, you know, Janet just got a PR on her deadlift is like. Oh thank God, my
2: batteries are charged.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely, Keith. I, I cut you off there, but what were you going to say, bud?
2: I was just going to add in where you were uh, talking about touches on on mentioning the gym and things like that. Uh, I'll occasionally, have patients such as come in and, and tee up a softball for me, where you know part of it's just the the branding and marketing on the front end, where oh hey. Okay, the name of our clinic is and Jim is total performance. So people are already expecting that kind of a thing and it draws some of that clientele. Um, and so I'll have patients come in like, yeah, I saw you on your on your website, saw the pictures or this and that. And, and you, you'll just seem like you do things very different here and, and what's been working where what I've been doing hasn't been working and I clearly need something different. And then you're like halfway through your consult with them on and you're like, wait, is this a is this a, an actual clinical consult or is this a gym consult? It gets almost confusing a few times. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean the only difference is one of them has a great uh, uh one of them that's a cash membership, right? And the other one is maybe not so much. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. 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 It's great. Uh speaking of, I know you guys do have a, a very Unique approach to the gym piece, and you you definitely invest a lot on the front end. And maybe there's some people out there that are, you just don't know how to make that transition. But you have a initial event for everybody that comes in the gym, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, events last more than two hours, so I think that's... <laughs> that's right. Yeah, you guys. It's not just a conversation, but give give our listeners some kind of outline of what you guys do when somebody does move from the clinic to the gym. Uh, and, and kind of why you've decided to go that route.
2: Yeah. So the big thing for us is, especially with having, you know, 90 plus percent of our, of our gym clients being recent in pain patients, we want to get a really good thorough view of exactly how they move. Um, and that goes exactly back to the, the goals that we discussed earlier. First thing is making sure we don't hurt them and they have to come through the doors back to the clinic side. So we want to see how all of their joints move both actively and passively. And that's where we pull in, uh, and start off our full three hour long assessment with a, uh, with the FRA and really focusing on, you know, hips, shoulders, uh, full spine cat looking for hinge points. Uh, how are their ankles moving? Wrist moving? All of that kind of stuff is super important. Um, and then we'll jump into okay, the, those are all of the pieces and the parts. How do they move as a whole? And we can look at jumping into our FMS. And a lot of times it'll be the FRA and FMS will be the first day. Um, the second day they'll come back and uh, we'll do a an assessment workout. So basically, taking uh, from the CFSC, looking at what what are baselines and below. So what is the, this the typical entry point that 80% of people can do and what are the regressions for those and take them through all of the different movements like a uh, horizontal push, vertical pull, uh, a single leg, uh, knee dominant movement. So more like a split squat, a, a bilateral deadlift, all of those and see where they start. So that once we get them into a group, we don't have to spend as much time coaching them. We know where they need to be. And also we can have a, a complete spectrum of people from now my mom and dad are training um, at the same time as a you know, 14 year old dancer. They're not doing the same stuff, but they're all working in the same kind of movement patterns. And it's very slick for everyone to get what they need. You're not holding back some people and you're not pushing others too, too hard, too fast
0: so for, for our listeners if the goal is a vertical uh vertical pull right so something overhead and you're doing a pulling motion you're your um I'm trying to think your 14 year old dancer might have the composition and the muscle to do pull ups and so she's she's doing pull ups whereas what would you have your mom doing in that situation
2: yeah so my mom right now we have her on the kaiser doing uh, an X pull down so reaching across her body and mm-hmm. pulling pulling straight down, her um, knees are on you, the
0: ground the whole time. Like, but she's still getting that motion, still getting the scapular motion, GH motion, yeah,
2: disassociation
0: with the cervical spine. All the, all these good things that are coming along with that motion.
2: Well, yeah, and you can and you can even diversify it a little bit between you know doing uh, doing it in a tall kneeling stance where it's a little bit more of a an anti extension challenge. You can have her uh, going into a hip dissociation into you know half kneeling in the different positions. So there are all of those different options and ways to diversify some of that. Like I, it would be cool as hell, but I, I seriously doubt my mom's ever going to be doing, uh, doing any pull-ups. So having some of that diversity within, within postures is also a great way of, of giving them that diversity, but still giving them what they need. And hey man,
0: and mother's, mother's Day is not too far up. <laughs> you have to pull-ups.
2: <laughs> is that <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, i'd be giving her the gift of a lot of free treatment and i don't really want to give that much time <laughs> uh,
1: yeah so, Josh, one, one more thing to add on um there was so there's a couple things that i wanted to add on to what keith, keith basically outlined kind of the bare bones of it um but but literally the first 30 minutes spent with the client is actually a sit-down conversation about their goals and like that's one thing that we kind of uh we found super important. It was really easy for us as practitioners to look at people as these biomechanical figures and kind of point out things that they need that are purely mechanical and almost go on our, on our own like um, self-perpetuating prescriptions where we say you need this. And we realized like, man, when people come to the gym, they might not always want increased internal rotation of their right shoulder. They want, to move their right shoulder without pain, or a lot of our a lot of our clients, they want to lose body fat. A lot of our clients, maybe they want to uh, increase some type of sports specific characteristics. So the first thirty minutes at least is spent sitting down with them, talking to them about what their goals are. Um, and what the trainers do, and we train them to do this, they go through this conversation about goals. They, they go through a basic height, weight, BIA, blood pressure, uh, pulse, ox, heart rate, the baseline kind of vitals approach. And every successive session is built on the first one. And I think that's kind of the beauty of this three-hour approach. You know, People look at it like, oh, my gosh, you don't need three hours. Well, I can tell you literally why you probably should do it every step. So the first step, the FRA, is is just a measure of active and passive joint motion. FRA stands for functional range assessment for those that don't know. Um, But it's it's a view of each individual joint active and passively. And so we already have some understanding biomechanics of what their body's capabilities will look like. And the trainers know like, hey, if this person cannot internally rotate their hip, their hip flexion with a bent knee is less than 70 degrees. I probably think that on their FMS overhead squat, they're going to struggle. And then on day two, they actually do the FMS, which is a look at motor control with those with those parts. So now they're starting to see, okay, these basic movement patterns, how do they actually fare it out after we've seen these initial joint capacities? And then based on the FMS, it kind of leads them into where we think their baseline exercises with the CFSC programming is. So that gets them to their, to their exercise assessment. Then we go through some aerobi- baseline aerobic, a modified Cooper's test for the baseline aerobic assessment, which is really quick and easy to do. And the last thing that um, that we pull from the uh, FMS and the FRA is, is correctives. And we haven't talked at all about that, but every client we have will have some level of correctives. And we say correctives, I don't know if I like the term correctives, but we can call it joint optimization or tissue optimization, but more or less if someone comes in and, and we have to modify their FMS to raise their heels, or we have to modify their goblet squat to a box squat that's raised, we're not just going to train that modified box squat endlessly. We're gonna do some stuff on our end that may be small, but incremental over time that actually gets them the capacities to do a full goblet squat without a box and not have to do it from any type of raise standpoint. So besides accomplishing the goals of all of our clients, we're also generally helping them maintain joint and tissue health, which again, they may not see it on the front end as like, this is my goal. But remember the number one thing we wanted to accomplish with people coming in the gym is that they don't get hurt. And that is probably the quickest way and the most surefire way to make sure that they don't get hurt while training.
0: Yeah. I think there's another aspect that you didn't even touch on that I think is just, oozing out of what you you talked about one of the the tough things about having a gym business in any sense is differentiating what you offer right so a lot of gyms are like we're going to have the biggest uh space right or we're going to have racquetball or we're going to have saunas and hot tubs and in the world of the clinic gym hybrid like differentiating the only way we can do it i mean 3000 square feet feet in the world of gyms is a dot right it's tiny but the way we can differentiate is through expertise, like showing the client that you're in the right place because we understand you better than anybody. And so like you guys said, you're, you don't do marketing, but man, you are marketing your clients. I'm sorry. You're marketing your trainers heavily in that first three hours because you're teeing them up to appear as the most knowledgeable exercise professional in the state. Hell, might be in the, on the West Coast just by asking a bunch of questions. And having some sort of orderly approach to why I'm asking and what I'm going to do with this information, that ain't happening. You go to like 24 hour fitness, you, you know, whatever, like, I don't know if you heard that interview I did with Rick Mayo, but he, he was saying that he went to Hawaii with his wife. They found a CrossFit gym. They go in the, the trainer goes, uh, so do you guys have any injuries or anything that you need to know that I need to know about? And they said, yeah, actually my wife has a congenital condition, had her hips replaced at like 41. Right the trainer goes, all right, great. Well, we're going to start over here on box jumps. <laughs> it's like, why'd you even, no one, why'd you ask? And number two, is if you're going to ask, like do something about it, don't just move on, you know? And, and it was like, it didn't even register that, you know, you have this strange age for hip replacements, right? So I think you guys are, are marketing the heck out of it. The only thing I would say that I saw a lot of, uh, of uh, a huge advantage with is setting up a team meeting feeling. So if, one of the doctors can participate for the first like 10 or 15 minutes. I think that'll actually anchor that even more into that initial meeting. Cause if you like, we work with golfers, if you can get the swing coach, the trainer, me and uh, the golfer in the room and anybody else that's involved, the club fitter and everything, those people never leave your facility ever. Why would they? And and what you hope they do is they go somewhere else and that, that trainer sits down for uh, or stands up for one and a half minutes and all right, well, here's the program. And that person's going to go like, wait, what about all the testing? Aren't you going to do that? And they're like, oh yeah, we don't, we don't do that here. <laughs> Peace. <I'm out.
1: laughs>
0: you know? Now, how do you guys, uh, I know that, uh, I know we're over time here because you guys are, are, and I'm really gracious you're gracious about spending your time. Can we go a couple more minutes? Yeah, that's okay. Okay. How do you recoup the money for that? I mean, three hours is no joke. It takes somebody's time. Um, do you just charge for that And to the client? Is it included in their care? How do you guys do it?
1: So we, we do charge for the initial assessment. Um, but we don't, so like we really don't make money on it, right? We're paying our trainer to do the assessment, but we charge a hundred bucks. So we are paying for the time that ultimately we end up getting back because we haven't had any members like choose to leave at this point. So people aren't leaving. We've just got people that continue to go up. Some have paused for a month or two because of COVID or they went on a vacation or something, but they come right back. And so if we can get them at this point, to understand because when you when it's i think it's really powerful when nick explains what we do with the assessment and that comes yeah. out very passionate and that we hey we're, we're here to take care of you the client sees that and as soon as they see that they know bar none hey i went up to the club up here and uh the guy just like gave me a sheet of paper and i filled it out and then i was doing like box jumps the next day well now they know that you're here to take care of them you're getting a super good look at them as a person, and then the results speak for themselves. Where people no longer have pain, no longer have injuries, they also get a BIA. So if you know you're you're checking in on that at eight weeks, so now we're looking. Hey, look! Look at the look at the lean 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 mass you gained. Look at that! Look at the fat mass that you've lost, and then cause that goes back to their goals. Right. So we continue to check in on that stuff. So long, you know, long-term we end up recouping what we don't make up front because people continue on. And you know, like you said, we're marketing in that way. So we don't need to make money off the assessment up front.
2: We can make it down the road.
0: Yeah. Don't be scared of that. I mean, I, I think if you look in the golf world, there's a lot of people charging for a big assessment on the front end. And, uh, so I just say like, sometimes we as providers, oftentimes are like, I don't want to charge a person, blah, blah, blah. But sure. then if they came forward with a say $700 payment, um, they also anchor themselves. And it just like you would, if you buy anything for, you know, if, if you go to Kmart to buy a, a, a you know, hundred dollar mountain bike, you're not anchoring yourself in mountain biking. If you go to the bike shop, and you buy a $5,000 bike, you or your wife will anchor you in mountain biking.
2: <laughs> That's right. Yeah, and yeah. Mentioning that, like we've actually had some of the clients, you know, go through the assessment process and they'll ask us like, why are you only charging a hundred dollars for this?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's client language for something's off here. Yeah. I tell people a lot, like if you offer something and then if you say like, Hey, why don't you come in? And the person goes, okay, where do I pay? And if you push them off and go, just don't worry about that show up Monday, it, you will be surprised at the feedback you get from those people. They will say like, I felt like I, like something was wrong with me. I wasn't being committed to, there's something that you didn't want. I I didn't know if I made the qualifications and that actually in the gym business is one of the lowest conversion things you can do is you push the person off to a, a free session. They feel like they haven't committed and they're either they're embarrassed or they feel like something's missing from the relationship. Anyways, that's, that's just bigger things to cover later. But, um, so you guys basically are playing the long play, big assessment up front and then monthly membership. Um, I guess the the last thing I want to cover is, and you guys have done such a great job, and I hope people listening to this are hearing what a great job you've done. I know that you, you've you been fiscally responsible the whole way and use cash to pay for any equipment, right? So you haven't taken huge loans on equipment and whatnot. Um, that is one question I get. So let me just ask this as a last question, then the last... After that, I'm going to follow up the one course I want from each of you that you think will change people's perspectives on things, whether we've covered it or not. I just love your input on that. But a lot of people say like, oh, I can't afford to start or I, I need to minimize my equipment. My feeling has always been buy it used. Nobody cares if they're lifting a rogue kettlebell or rep kettlebell or a you know lifeline or if it came from dick Sporting Goods or whatever. Um, and even if you have to buy used equipment, that's fine. Have you noticed that as you've built up more equipment and more space, have your, have your clients bought off on that journey too of growth rather than walking into a completely finished, perfect space with all the you know, perfect racks and everything?
1: Yeah, I mean, we started out like I said with a 900 square foot gym, and what we did is we everything that we got from that for probably about like a year and a half to two years that we made from that, we just banked it and we just saved it because we knew we were going to expand and we knew we were going to need more equipment. The equipment we had then, some of it looked like you were in a high school weight room. Okay, was not high end. Some of it was, but some of it wasn't. And but it was equipment and you know, giving good treatment or good care or good rehab or good exercise, whatever you want to call it, doesn't necessarily require nice stuff. And what we wanted to do is just start doing it, save our money. And, and this didn't happen overnight, right? We we saved stuff for two years and basically we had horse stall mats in our gym. It was 900 square feet. We had some cook bands. We had some other stuff we were using and we saved and we saved and we saved. And then When we built this new thing, we added, to add the the 3,000 square feet on, it increased our mortgage payment by about $2,000 a month. But everything else inside of that gym is now 100% paid for. The turf, the rolled rubber, all of the things when you listen to the podcast, people say, oh, use rolled rubber, use this stuff, use that stuff. Well, we found ways to cut costs where we could, and then we were able to upgrade to nicer stuff, newer stuff. To where at this point, we really don't have any of the old stuff. But that's because we went through the struggles for a few years and maybe not having the the high-end stuff that everyone wants right away. And you have to be okay with that and just trust the process of, Hey, I'm doing this. I'm saving the money from this. If you truly want to go long-term, that's the way that we did it. And it worked out great because now all we're paying for is, you know, the water, the electricity, and the extra 2000 a month. Other than that, our overhead's pretty low for the actual gym side. It's just paying your trainers.
0: Yeah, but yeah. it does produce a nice little return yeah. when you're going to pay your rent and your mortgage, your power yeah. and all that, right? Absolutely. Awesome. Just out of curiosity, how soon until, not including payroll of the doctors, but including payroll of staff, how long until you think that your memberships will cover all your overhead, not including the doctor pay, for the entire for the entire clinic. Yeah, let's think see. That'll happen in two or three years
1: at this rate? Yes, um, payroll is always huge when you have fifteen employees or whatever. Uh, yeah. But I will say, you know, at this rate, but it's been six months and in the middle of a pandemic, we're already over fifty members. So if we extrapolate that out, that will absolutely happen.
0: I just think from a business model perspective, like when you, I mean, uh, Nick, you've been at Cairo the longest out of anybody. Is that right?
1: Uh, me and they graduated together. And
2: okay. uh, so, yeah.
0: But nobody tells you on the front end, like that you're, you have the opportunity of, if you run the right business model, if you had started a uh, clinic gym from day one, within five years, I think that that membership base can do so much, whether you want to make it a war chest or it can cover all your overhead. So all your clinical care is basically your take-home income, right? Like, but nobody ever tells you that from the get-go. And so everybody's like slugging it out, trying to fill their schedule. And it's like, dude, this model, it can be successful, but my God, like there are, (laughs) you can also win a race, a marathon on your knees. But yeah. whichever one you want to choose is fine, you know, yeah. Yeah. and nobody ever says that. And so you guys are kind of demonstrating that. I mean, six months into a, a, a true operating hybrid, what if you had done that from day one? And what would you where would you be in five years? You know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, that actually brings up one more point, too, which is uh, the one thing we've had to really strongly consider uh, as of late is, well, first off, our gym and clinic are only open five days a week. And with bringing on this new this third trainer, we're having to flirt with the idea of being open seven days a week, at least on the gym side, and offering more than just training. So offering some type of nutritional counseling that is an additional uh, fee uh, cost associated with a membership. We're also hosting a rock tape here in April. And uh, I think Rich Holm was going to come teach DNS weightlifting in June.
2: Yeah, strength
1: training. Sorry, strength training in June. (laughs) And so, I mean, if you think about it, like you you're exactly right. From like a business standpoint, you've got to use your, you can start to think about using your space as a continuing education uh, outlet, places you can bring more professionals, which also kind of builds your, um, notoriety in the industry. And and next thing you know, people want to come work for it. You don't even have to go search for them. And we're hoping that that's what happens over the next couple of years. But we're kind of just starting to get that
2: ball to roll. Well, and, and that's, that's also good. something that we planned ahead of time before construction. So like, when we went to go build out the facility, we knew, hey, this portion of the gym uh, it has more open space, and we can we have a, a mounted projector at all times up there with um, the projector screen that's constantly there. So we've even used it, you know, with with some training clients where you can put some programming up there. If if you need to review a video with a with a client, you can even you know pull it up on there and look at it on a bigger screen and show more people. Um, so it comes in handy there. But yeah, I mean, we that's something to plan ahead because you don't want to have to go back and and re re, redo your electrical or if you need to have extra supports for a, uh, uh, for a projector to hang. Like you, you've got to make sure that stuff's all planned ahead as as well as possible.
0: The other thing too, I think is just open space is its own tool. Like it gets kind of forgotten, but man, until you get up to 3000 square feet, I would try and make that space, not have any walls whatsoever except the exterior ones. Maybe you want to start dividing it after that, but uh, yeah, I, th- I think that it is its own space because you can treat patients out there too. Like the idea that yeah. everybody has to be in a private room is—you guys have eleven private rooms, but I'm going to guess that you could still do fifty percent of the those appointments yeah. on the floor, right? We do yeah. sometimes <laughs> take them out yeah. there and have the treatments out there, anyways. Yeah, wait till you guys get busier and like you don't have. <laughs> You don't have any open rooms, you know, so. We've done several adjustments on the turf,
2: man. (laughs) Uh,
0: Well, I mean, I could talk about this stuff all day long and you guys are a perfect example of how awesome this can be. Because the other thing that people can't see just listening is you guys are smiling, right? Like this is super fulfilling. It's exciting. It's what your patients want. It's what you want to deliver. And I I think sometimes people you meet those chiropractors been in practice for like 12 years and you can see at some point their soul just shriveled up, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not worried about that with you guys, right? I think every day is more exciting than the last, whether it's educating your staff, educating your patients, finding the right care. It's so exciting and I don't know any other model that really that really does that. So I'm glad you guys are doing it. You're doing it well. The one thing I know people are going to ask, can they hit you up? Can they ask questions? Can they come observe? So why don't we handle that first and then we'll move to the, the course that you recommend. But um, if people want to reach out and find you guys, how how can they best do it? Uh,
1: they can go to our website, which is www.totalperformance.clinic. Uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram as well. And if you wanted to shoot us an email, you can shoot us an email to admin at totalperformance.clinic.
0: Okay. And for those who are in the Facebook uh, uh, clinic hybrid the clinic gym hybrid discussion group um you guys are all in there you're active you're answering yeah. questions i've seen you all participate so nick nate baker and keith yoho you'll see their names pop up in conversations all the time and if you see them comment on something now now that you've listened to this you know that that is a uh, time sweat and blood proven it's <laughs> it's not yeah that. go ahead and message us with questions we'll get back to you we
2: got we can do that yeah, I appreciate we that. We can shoot a little video of the, of kind of our setup as well and kind of yeah. people will run down of, of some of the decisions we made and where Absolutely. we have to grow from there.
0: Yeah. yeah. Last question for you guys, for each one of you, um, you know, as people are going down this journey, a lot of courses get thrown out there. A lot of recommendations. Oh, you should do this. You should do that. You should do this. But what I would love to hear is if you can talk about one course you took that changed your approach, changed your paradigm, to it, not just it was great information, I'll put it in my little backpack of information, which a lot of people do, but what was one that you're like, hey, we need to change and we need to implement this uh, because it's going to produce either better results, a better business, more systemization. It doesn't have to be a clinical course, by the way, anything you did, but I'd love to hear from each of you if you can remember that moment where you took a, a, some sort of education and it truly changed you.
2: For
1: me, I would say it was all the way back. I was actually still in school and I was in 12th quarter and uh, Dr. Aaron Montgomery was my, um, was my attending
0: position at University By of the way, State. went to the greatest, uh, university in the world, Montana State University. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Go, go cats.
1: There you go. So he, uh, he kind of molded me in school and he got me, uh, to go to the SFMA that you taught And that was where everything changed for me from the, you know, from the beginning. So early on, honestly, I feel like I was super blessed to be put with, you know, under his, his uh, supervision because he helped me to understand that chiropractic isn't just adjusting and orthopedic tests uh, and diagnosis, but there's a whole nother side to it that that's there. And then the SFMA kind of solidified that for me. So for me, knowing, you know, just a systematic approach and an assessment, you know, opened my eyes to how much other stuff there was out there. So I would say that's where I really started to realize, you know, how impactful some of that stuff can be.
0: I love it. All right. Well, I can't go wrong there, man. An SFMA, I believe in that. And if I was at one of the instructors, then even yeah. better. Yeah, there you go. Uh, uh, Nick, you want to uh,
1: go? Yeah, sure. So um, I think for me, uh, I took, uh, FRC functional range conditioning. I took it at, uh, at Nike headquarters and, uh, I had, uh, Andrea Spina and Du Nielsen were both, uh, instructors for that course there. I think that that was probably the most impactful. Uh, and I say that primarily because it affected everything that I do today, both in the clinic and in the gym. And what I mean by that is it gave me a really, I feel like, In school and through a lot of other courses and through a lot of, uh, you know, self-research, we look at things in such a compartmentalized way. You get pieces of this and pieces of this, but there really is an art to blending all of that stuff together and bringing an amalgamation of that research and being able to say... This is generally what what all of this stuff here tells us is the right thing to do. And FRC in terms of joint tissue function, joint tissue loading, why we might adjust, why we might choose to use, you know, isometric tension, eccentrics, concentrics, what the nervous system does and doesn't do in those situations. All of that stuff was kind of brought on on that in that weekend, and for me, it was kind of like a. It was, it was the one course that brought a lot of meaning and understanding into a lot of the other ones I had already gone to, but it made them all kind of gel together. And so that for me was, was, was super impactful.
0: And I mean, even to this day, I use that stuff literally with every patient. How, how many years in uh, the practice were you, by the way? Uh, it was 2017, I think. So three years in. Yeah. It's funny. Like sometimes we hit these moments where everything just kind of, oh, that's how those combine. Oh, mm-hmm. great. You know?
2: It's awesome. Yeah. it's awesome. Keith, how about you? Um, so the, the quick and easy answer for this uh, with the gym side of things is obviously the CFSC, which we've already talked a good bit about that and, and the whole by the way progressions and regressions.
0: Yeah. CFSC is the Certified Functional Strength Coach and it has the weirdest website address, certifiedfsc.com. It's super hard yeah. to find, but I love that core. so. Yeah, sorry. Sorry to cut you off there, Keith.
2: Yeah, no worries. So that's the that's the easy answer. Um, but for me, the the big turning point was was kind of looking at uh, taking my first DNS courses, uh, which was for my fourth semester. So I was a year into chiropractic school, um, and I came from a, a swimming background and triathlon background, and I, I coached at Texas A and M for a few years, and and the relationship of how. You know how global movement patterns kind of work together. really, answered a lot of my questions about technique and the such. Um, and And the thing about a lot of the DNS stuff is it can get very nuanced. But the basic core principles can be applied to any and every exercise that you do. Um, and that's really why I'm stoked to get rich out here to teach uh, the new DNS strength training course this summer. Um, because it's going to be much more hands-on and really all of the most applicable stuff, uh, not getting into as much of the minutiae, just really trying to dive into, hey, this is what we do on Monday, and this these are how you apply the the principles.
0: That's great. Yeah, I think uh, everything you guys have talked about, whether it's SFMA certified or the CFSC or FRC It's funny when it really gets distilled down to the principles and when you understand that, how much you step back and go, huh, why the hell are we doing
2: this? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: Awesome. Well guys, this has been an awesome podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself and I am super excited about all the success you guys have had. I think you're flying the flag for what it is. I would love to have you guys post any sort of video explaining any part of what you do, um, a facility tour, anything like that to everybody on the Facebook uh, the clinic gym hybrid discussion group on Facebook. Um, that's a great place to disturb it and or to display it. And I'm very appreciative you guys are willing to answer questions and whatnot. Um, with that, man, do you guys have anything else that we didn't cover? I feel like there's probably 18 chapters of a book we haven't written. Yet. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure there's stuff we didn't cover, but I can't think of it at the top, top of my head. Awesome. Well, on behalf of Nick Baker, Nate Baker and Keith Yoho, this is Dr. Josh Satterley saying, go out there, do what these guys have did, done, which is maximize their license. And now they're getting closer to living the life they dream of. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Hey, I wanna let you know that this episode was brought to you by clinicgymconnect.com. Clinic Gym Connect is our new, exciting communication software that I think will revolutionize your practice blow your customers away with amazing customer service and allow you to grow by offering the solutions that your office offers. So if you want to check out more, just go to clinicgymconnect.com. Again, that's clinicgymconnect.com and check it out there. Thanks.